0: Bible, please turn with me to the book of First Samuel tonight, we're going to read chapter number 4 from this book of First Samuel, appreciate that good song, uh, Pastor and I were kind of talking during it about the truth of the song and what a hard, it's a hard thing sometimes to hold still, there's sometimes an unsettledness in the will of God because God is causing that unsettledness, he'll take a step of faith into the next area of his will, but a lot of times I found out when there's an unsettledness in the will of God it's because I'm too concerned with self, I'm not content with what God has given me. And I preached on the radio this morning out of 1 Corinthians how it's God that distributes to every man. God's the one from his hand to your life. Whatever course it is, God gave it to you. And sometimes when we get that unsettled, i got to move, i got to make a decision. It's often that we're not content with what God has done. And we're saying, God, you got this thing wrong, I can do it better. So you just hold still. Don't kick down a door if God hadn't unlocked it. God to open it for you. I appreciate that good song. First Samuel chapter number 4. And I'm praying God will use the thought tonight to stir our hearts, to uh, awaken us, to challenge us. And uh, I'm glad that this problem is not a problem here at this place, but it definitely could become one. It could happen here. It can happen anywhere. And I believe many places it has happened. And I'm praying tonight that God will stir us. We were talking up here on the platform. I don't know if we can convey it, and I don't even know if I understand it, but I believe it, how important and not trying to puff up this place or us, but how important we are for such a time as this where God has placed us. We could go someplace easier and go someplace else, but I don't think we get to see what God is doing. You don't pay the price. But the thing is, we need more than just a big building and more than just a full sheet of activity. We must have God in everything that we do. Look with me at this chapter. I don't know if I'll read all of it. I I thought about it, but I don't think I will skim through it. But I want to give you the thought tonight. Look at verse number one. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Naphthah. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh unto us it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egypt. Now they got that wrong and they got that right at the same time. They don't fully comprehend They're right about what God did, but they're wrong about the fact that it's God. It's not God's. It's Jehovah God. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. He's saying, act like a man. Be courageous. O you Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent and there was a very great slaughter for their fellow of Israel, 30,000 footmen. Look at verse 11. And the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. If you read the rest of the chapter, we won't read it for sake of time. Eli, who's been serving as the high priest, he's an old man. He's been serving 40 years. He gets word that the ark of God was taken. The ark of God represented the presence of God. And along with that, the power and the protection and the promises of God. When Israel had the ark, they had the blessings of God. The ark represented God's tangible presence in their midst. The ark is gone. They've lost the presence of God. But then he hears his boys that were serving his priests. They shouldn't have been, but they were, were killed in battle. The man is so shaken by what he heard. In verse number 18, it says he falls off of his seat. And being a heavy man, he falls on the side of his head, breaks his neck, and he dies. One of the wives of his, one of his sons is about to give birth to a baby. The wife of Phinehas is being delivered, and she gives birth to this baby and dies in childbearing. But before she dies, she declares the name of the son. And the son's name is a is uh, an announcement of the spiritual condition of Israel, an indictment. His name is Ichabod. Maybe you've heard that name before. The name means the glory has departed. Or you could say it like this, goodbye glory. Goodbye presence of God. It's no longer here. If you read this chapter, it's a chapter of death, it's a chapter of despair, it's a chapter of depression, it's a chapter of defeat, because Israel lost The presence of God. Now you say, wait a minute, Brother Cooper, the presence of God is everywhere. I know that, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. There is an omnipresence of God that is undeniable and it never ceases. But then there is also this presence of God where God manifests himself, where God reveals himself, where God shows up, shows off, and shows out. Where God moves and you can't deny it, God did that. For a little while this evening, I want us to think on verse 11 especially. The ark of God was taken and preach on this thought for a minute. God's stolen presence. We cannot afford to allow the presence of God to be stolen away from this place. Let's pray. God, please help me preach. I pray for your power. And I know full well people have been out in the world throughout this week because they have to. Their jobs and doctor's appointments and the cares of this life. God, I pray just now for just a few minutes you'd help us to block all that out please help us to tune into heaven remove any hindrance or distraction i believe this could be a very serious message for our church because it's a great need of this hour we need your presence here I pray that in jesus name amen charles spurgeon made this statement the one want of the church in these times is the presence of god in the church men will not doubt his word when they feel his spirit if God be with his people, they will soon see crowds converted and added to the church. For a thousand reasons, we need Jehovah to come into the camp. I got a text message this morning. What wasn't a text message. It was a message through a social media thing from a preacher in another state. And he was rehearsing what God did last week in some meetings. And he said, but then we got back to our church on Sunday... And he said, I had another young lady get saved on Sunday morning, and then I had a young man surrender to preach on Sunday night, he said, because of what God had done in the previous week. And we were talking about that and using this terminology, and here's what was said, God met with us. Isn't that an amazing thing to be able to say, God met with us? One of the most powerful testimonies that can be held by a church is that the world around it would look at that church and say, God is in that church. It is hard to fathom that the God that fills heaven and the God that fills earth would want to come down, dwell with us, and move among us, and that we could say of this place, God is here. Now, it's not strange to drive through a city and see steeples rise into the sky. It's not out of the ordinary to drive through a town and see sanctuaries on every corner. It's not abnormal to go to a place and see cathedrals scattering around that community. But in this hour, it's an extreme rarity to pass by any one of those places and be able to say, God has come into the camp. We live in a layout of seeing and day. By that, I mean these are days of apathy and atrophy and inactivity. And worse than all of that, these are days where we have a lack when it comes to the tangible presence of God. I believe, in fact, if God were to move in most churches, they'd be so unaware of what was happening. God would have to have a name tag on and say, Hello, my name is God, and reintroduce himself to that church. They have a social justice message and they might serve their community and maybe have a full schedule of events, but they cannot say the presence of God is there. I'm afraid the average preaching takes place without the presence of God. The average prayer meeting is conducted without the presence of God. Church starts on time and lets you out before the roast gets burned in the oven, but we never experience the presence of God. I'm talking about in general. What the world at large knows as Christianity is just a form or a shell of what biblical Christianity could be and what it ought to be. My question is this, where's the power of God? Where's the energy of the Holy Spirit? Where's the shaking? Where's the stirring? When you don't have the presence of God, that sounds the death knell on a church. It closes the coffin. It ushers in an era of Ichabod when there is no presence of God. A church goes from being a living organism to a dead organization if God is not moving in that church. Tonight, I'm glad our church does a lot of things well. You can travel the country and you can go and talk to people in different churches and they know our church. And when I talk to people about our church, it's always complimentary and it's very positive. And we have a great reputation in a number of areas. For example, I believe we do Sunday school well. I believe we do choir well. I believe we do congregational singing well. I believe we do soul winning well. I believe we do the bus ministry well. And I'm not saying this for any reason, but I believe we do preaching well. What I'm saying is I believe the hand of God and the blessings of God have been on this place historically, and I believe it's on this place tonight. But the one thing that secures the blessing of God in all of those areas is simply this. We have been blessed to have the presence of God manifested in our church. More than just his omnipresence, I'm talking about God has seen fit to display himself through this ministry. There's no mistaking that kind of presence of God. Souls are saved when you have that kind of presence of God. The baptistry is stirred when you have that kind of presence of God. The pews will be full when you have that kind of presence of God. There's stability in the membership when you have that kind of presence of God. There's spiritual growth when you have that kind of presence of God. The altars are packed and prayer meetings are filled and there's influence and impact outside of the four walls of the building. When you have that kind of presence of God and everything that we've seen here and all that we're seeing here and all that I'm begging God we'll see here in the future is owed to that kind of presence of God. In Proverbs 10 and verse 22 the Bible said the blessing of the Lord it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow to it and we are blessed tonight because of the Lord. We sing the song surely the presence of the Lord is in this place but most churches can only sing the song. I'm glad we don't just get the sing the psalm i'm glad we get to see the truth and often god will come down and meet with us in our church there is no substitute for the presence of god it can't be mimicked it can't be duplicated it can't be substituted we have to have it we ought to want it we can't afford to lose it and i'm glad it's been here have you ever stopped to wonder and ask yourself why is it there's so much compromise in general in our day why is it that the average church is worldly and not separated? Why are so many pastors who are trained right and know better leading their church, and it's always from the top down, leading their church into compromise? Here's the answer. It's the presence of God. I don't mean they have the presence of God. I mean they are lacking the presence of God. Somewhere along the way, it was taken, it was stolen, and they lost the presence of God. And here's why they compromise: Compromise is a cloak for your in adequacy in the area of the power of God. When you don't have the power of God, then you have to resort to doing something that can substitute. And sadly, the ringing of the average church bell in America is an announcement that it is showtime, not that it is church time. Compromise is just a feeble attempt to make up for that lack of God's presence on a church. The name Ichabod means the glory has departed, and that'd be a good name for most ministries in this generation. I'm I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just trying to be honest with you. You can drive throughout Santa Clara and you can see the gay flag on these churches. You can see signs about social justice messaging. You can see all this community service and pass out a water bottle for Jesus thing, but there's no gospel being preached. The average place today could be called Ichabod Baptist Church or Ichabod Cathedral or Ichabod Worship Center because the presence of God is no longer there. The average church today needs an undertaker not a pastor they need a coffin not a church building they need a gravestone not a marquee Isaiah got in the presence of God and it wasn't flesh 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 it was holy 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 it was woe unto me I'm an unclean man tonight Christianity's missing one thing but the one thing we're missing is the most important thing in the world and that's the presence of God Shame on the modern day church. It's so performance driven and entertainment centered and shallow and showy and flesh and formality. America's churches and preachers used to guide the governance of our nation. The president consulted with pastors. But now our nation's leadership mocks the church and discards the voice of the man of God. I honestly fear on the average Sunday morning at the average American church, which is all I know about, but the average American church, lost people show up and they leave lost. Lost. Prodigals show up and they leave afar far off. Hurting people crawl in and leave out hurting. Those with questions come and have no answers because that place is only providing them a synthetic placebo, external, a formalized form of religion. It has the form but denies the power thereof. And because of that, there is no regeneration. There is no revival. There is no repentance. There is no revolution. There is no realness of God. I think the average church you go to, you don't know if God's on the property or not. I like it when we can come here and sense his presence as soon as you step in the parking lot. Thank God for that. May we never take it for granted. It's not like that everywhere. It's not like that in every church, but I'm glad it's been like that here. Can I say we can't afford to lose it? The sleeping in the average church are never awakened. The cold are never warmed. The heart are never softened. The skeptics never convinced. The dead is never resurrected. And the devil's not even bothered because the presence of God has been stolen away. Oh, that we could say it, not just say it for the Internet, but say it because it's true that God is in this place. I mean, God is here, we could say, in power, and God is here in glory, and God is here in holiness, and God is here in all of his fullness and majesty. Orthodox has to have God's presence. Preaching has to have God's presence. Singing has to have God's presence. Prayer has to have God's presence. Worship has to have God's presence. Church has to have his presence. Don't you know that we're the only restrainer keeping the evil from overflowing this nation? Don't you know we're the only one with our finger in the dam keeping the floodwaters from coming through? And if this place has no presence of God, it's just as dead as the YMCA or just as dead as the football stadium or just as dead as the shopping center. If God's presence isn't in this church, then don't get mad at the lost crowd for not showing up. I say, let him go to the lake. Let him go to the mountains. Let him go to the ocean. There's more God there than the average church in America anyhow. But I tell you what makes the difference is when God shows up, those pews are just seats if God doesn't show up. This sanctuary is just a building if God doesn't show up. This pulpit's a hunk of wood if God doesn't show up. This service is a performance if God doesn't show up. Leonard Ravenhill made the statement the church right now has more fashion than passion. It's more pathetic than prophetic. It's more superficial than supernatural. And I say tonight considering our country and how close she is to going over the edge and irreparable damage being done in America, it'll be gone. And how bad it is in our culture. How paganistic, humanistic, and sex-driven and flesh-centered it is. And then considering our churches, how anemic they are, how effeminate the pastors are, how worldly the sound and sights are in the average church don't you think we got to be careful that we don't forfeit the presence of God in this place now let me get to the text the ark was sacred to the Jews among all the other instruments used in their religion the ark stood alone in the most holy place it was hidden within the veil the ark of the covenant was their mercy seat it was their hope it was in the holy of holies the ark was built according to the word of God that Moses received in the mountain. It was constructed of acacia wood. It was plated with gold on all sides. It had four rings on the four feet of that thing, and they had four gold-plated staves that would go through it so they could carry it. As they would carry that ark, they kept it wrapped on that veil that hid it there in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest was to look upon it, seated on top of the ark. At either end were two cherubims. Their wings were stretched forth, and here's the thing. Within those outstretched wings of those cherubims often would fall the shekinah. Glow or the Shekinah glory of God. And that represented the fact that God, Jehovah God, had moved into the camp of Israel. Israel was leaving Mount Sinai where God had met with them. And as they did, they gave the uh, He gave them the instructions for that mercy seat. And as they'd carry that Ark of the Covenant there, it was a reminder that the God that met with them at Mount Sinai was gonna go with them on their journey. You studied out and find that when God spoke to Moses, he spoke from within that Ark of the Covenant. The ark was the only thing that they kept out of that original tabernacle and then moved it to the temple. It signified the God of the tabernacle. Think God was also the God of the temple. Inside of that ark of the covenant were the tables of the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod that buttered and a, a jar of manna that had fallen from heaven. It reminded Israel God had provided for them. God had led them and God was in control. Here's what it meant to Israel. To Israel when they had the ark they knew this. They had God. It was them the representation of God's presence. It was God's promise and it was God's power. You study out their history. It was the ark that gave Moses victory over the Midianites. It was the ark that dried up the water in the river Jordan when the priests stepped in so God's people could pass through on dry ground. It was the ark that marched along with Joshua carried by the priest on that day when the walls of Jericho fell. They thought so much about the ark that in the book of Psalms there are songs that they sung about the Ark of the Covenant. They were blessed because they had the Ark. They had victory because they had the Ark. The Ark gave them protection. It made them unique and peculiar from all the other nations in Canaan land. So you can understand why it'd be such a tragic thing for Israel to lose the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you study the book of 1 Samuel, we don't have time to do a study of it, but the first three chapters are consumed with the prophet Samuel the next several, verse, chapter 4 through 7, are consumed with the ark of God. Isn't that amazing? God puts a great emphasis on the need for a preacher and the need for God's presence. In 1 Samuel 4, the nation of Israel is engaged in a battle that they cannot win on their own. God's people are at war with the Philistines. The Philistines are trying to expand their territory and increase their power. The Bible tells us that they set the battle in array at a place called Ebenezer. In verse number 3, the text says that Israel's defeated in this primary battle. In fact, 4,000 soldiers are killed and lie dead on the battlefield. Israel shocked and overwhelmed by their losses. They can't believe it. They're not used to being on the winning end of things. The elders of Israel gather together and they make the decision in verse 3 to go get the ark from Shiloh. Now, I could preach on that. The ark wasn't supposed to be in Shiloh and all this kind of thing, but they go and fetch it. They use the terminology, let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now, here's what they're thinking. We can't win this battle if we don't have the presence of God. We won't be victorious without the presence of God. We've won in the past when the ark was there, and they learned from their losses, and they got the ark of the covenant. Now, for context, it's important to know this is taking place at the end of the period of the judges. So Israel is not real spiritual. They're not necessarily living for God. The priesthood is corrupt. The people are full of sin and they haven't been seeking the face of God. They have compromised and they've gone astray. But it's interesting. Isn't it just like man, when they got in a fix, they ran back to God. Isn't that funny how when folks get in a mess, they call the preacher. Might not have been in church in four months. Amen. Need somebody to bury their loved one. They come back to the church house. Isn't it just like, man, the people go to Shiloh, they get the ark and they bring it there to Ebenezer? A shout rings out in the camp of Israel God is in the camp. The Philistines, the lost world around, hears the noise. The earth is ringing with shouts, not shouts of defeat, but not shouts of victory. And they wonder, what in the world is going on in the camp of Israel? And they find out the ark of God has entered into the camp. Even the lost world knew what that meant. They said, man, there's something different about them now. God has come into the camp of Israel. At first the Philistines are scared to death, but they're motivated by their leadership. Quit you like men. Be courageous today. And the Philistines march back out on the battlefield. They set the battle in array, and this time not 4,000, but many, many thousands, 30,000 of Israel's soldiers are killed in the battle. Worse than that is verse 11. The Bible said these Philistines had the audacity to go and grab that Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God, the promise of God, the provision of God, the world in essence grabbed hold of that and stole it away from the people of God. When the Philistines marched off with the Ark, they marched off with God's blessing. They marched off with God's hand. They marched off with God's favor. They marched off with God's presence. They marched off with God's provision. Can you see it there? Israel's left without the presence of God. Some men run to Eli, the old preacher, and they tell him what had happened. They said, your boys, Hophni and Phineas, those boys were full of sin, and they're better off dead anyhow, but that's another sermon. Those boys are dead, and Eli, he still loved them. He heard about it. He's shocked, and he hears the presence of God is gone. He can't handle it, and the old fellow falls off his seat, breaks his neck, and dies. There's been 4,000 dead. There's been 30,000 dead. Now the high priest is dead. and Now his daughter-in-law is about to give birth. She's about to give birth to a baby, and as she's about to give birth, her body weakens, her heartbeat wanes, and in her final breath, she declares after hearing of what's happened, This baby's name is going to be Ichabod, and she dies. That name would have rung out in the ears of those who are helping her. It's a reflection upon Israel's condition. When she called him Ichabod, what she's saying is his name is goodbye to the glory of God. The ark is gone. The glory of God's been stolen away. God's presence has been taken away. It's a sad day. God is gone from this place. I'm going to apply this, and we'll be through. Losing the ark to the Philistines was just a physical representation of what had already taken place in Israel, honestly. Israel had forsaken God long before they had the ark taken away from them. But for our illustration tonight, we're just going to think about the ark representing the presence of God. Let me say this. It's a dangerous thing when you play fast and loose with God's presence. God's presence in the fashion that we're talking about it tonight is a privilege for the few, not a promise to, the, to, to many. When God's presence is in a place, it sets the ideal atmosphere for people to get saved. I tell you this, I preach in some places, I don't know if you can get saved. It's so tight and so carnal and so fleshly in there. It sets the ideal atmosphere, liberty, if you will, to see the power of God. There's some places that show up and get in service and leave and never do see God move. The presence of God is just the ideal atmosphere for conviction. It sets the ideal atmosphere for holiness and revival. I'm not talking about his consistent presence, but I'm talking about us becoming conscious of his presence to say God is in the camp. And here's the lesson. The same place and the same people that once enjoyed the presence of God are the same place and the same people that can have it stolen away. A little boy was given a penny to put in the offering plate at church, and his daddy said, whenever you go to the uh, church, give that penny to God. Give it to God when you go to church. And that little boy said, I will. They got in the car after church, and on the way home, he could hear that noise of a penny flipping in the back seat and turned around. His little boy's flipping that penny up in the and he said son what is that he said it's that penny he said i told you to give that penny to god at church he said well i planned to but i never saw god at church the presence of god upon a ministry or a church or a christian is such a delicate thing god's presence is every place but not every place experiences his presence the way i'm talking about i don't know if i can communicate it clear enough and i don't know if we could comprehend it anyway but can you imagine if god would just undeniably show himself in this place A.J. Gordon would pray, I'm not preaching unless you go with me, and I'll not stand unless you stand with me, and I'll not go unless you go with me. And a young lady heard him saying that, went out to the crowd and said, don't worry, the preacher's on his way, and he's bringing someone with him. Exodus 33, verse 15, Moses said, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. He said, I don't want to go if God doesn't go with me. And can I say tonight my burden is this, "Don't this? Don't allow us to have God's presence stolen from this place. Let us not allow it. We have a nice building, and we can press on without it, though. We have padded pews, and we can make it without them. We have a professional website. That's fine, but we can go forward without it. But we can do nothing without God's presence. You might as well rip the heart from the body or take the current out of the wire or remove the oxygen from the air, the water from the sea. Nothing you or I do can be of any eternal value without the presence of God. The greatest attempt at preaching is vanity. The most harmonious sings at waste. The best programs won't cut at the cleanest facilities, won't matter, the sharpest media will make no impact like a tack tossed in the ocean if we don't have the presence of God. We talked about it earlier in the break room and Samson who took for granted the touch of God on his life. And Samson showed him so much power and so much weakness. I always call him, he's God's weak, strong man. Moses laid his head in the lap of that harlot, lost his power, what symbolized his power. And he rose up and she said, the Philistines be upon you, Samson. He said, hey, don't you worry about that. He said, I'm going to go out like at other times and shake myself. He said, all I got to do is fetch the ark real quick. All I got to do is flip on the lights, make sure the bills are paid, the carpets are clean, the bulletins are printed, air conditioner set right, and God will show up. Amen. He said, I'll just go out like it other times and shake myself. And here's what the Bible said, and you wist not. That the Spirit of God had departed from him. You know what? I wonder if the average place today even realizes they don't have God. They have their clergymen go up there with his long flowing robe and recite something from a dead book and they go through their motions and chant and do a little formalized whatever it is and think they went home and they feel good on the outside and so empty, a white as sepulchre full of dead man's bones on the inside. Can I say today, our generation has enough blind men leading blind people. We don't need another church like that. There's a bunch of places like that across town. If you want that, you can go down to the bowling alley or the country club. This is the house of God. And I tell you, it matters if God is in his house. I've said it all the time here. We can have church without me and we can't have church without pastor, we can't have church without you, but you can't have church without God. And every time we meet in a place like this, we need his presence to manifest himself, and here's why. Because somebody that comes in here is one heartbeat from hell. Somebody who comes in here is broken and needs some help. Somebody who's in here is hurting and needs a balm on their life. There's people in here with real needs and real despair, and they need an encounter with a real God. When's the last time you came to church and met with God? You didn't take care. Who's in the pew next to me? Who's in front or behind? But God met with us today in church. That's what we Need in this hour. No show, no surface, not shallow, not stirring my senses, an encounter with God. Not pride, not arrogance, not flesh. There's enough Ichabod. We don't need that here. That church in Sardis looked good, but it was dead. The prettiest corpse in town. They had a bus ministry and a choir and a school and a college and everything in line and no touch of God. Amen. Man, I don't want that. And I don't, I'm glad we don't have that. But man, a lot of places do. That Chauncey Good Auditorium burnt down. I think that's what it was. Was that the one that burnt down? Dr. Robertson's Auditorium in Chattanooga burnt down a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking to a pre, uh, Brother Gravely about it on the phone. I think it was. And he said, I praise God it burnt down. He said, I praise God it burnt down. He said, that thing stood long enough as a monument of what used to be, he said, we'll just get rid of it. I never thought about it like that, but then I thought, you know what, I'm glad it did too, I guess. Because it was inhabited by people who didn't believe like that anyway. Yeah. it would be better off this place just fall to the ground and go that direction. Amen. When a place loses the presence of God, it doesn't matter who the pastor was, it doesn't matter how many used to go to their school, it doesn't matter how much they ran on buses. Amen. It doesn't matter what kind of pro- program they have or marketing they do or what kind of media team they can put together or how many videos they can concoct. None of that's going to matter if you lose the presence of God. Amen. Let me give you some. i got to close. Let me give you some. Principle without the presence of God is no good. Doctrine without the presence of God is no good. Fundamentalism without the presence of God is no good. Amen. Having everything right is wrong if you don't have the presence of God. There's no revival. There's no reach. There's no people being... Restore, we have to have. All no, right. Let me give you something. Here's the results of losing God's presence. There's death. All throughout this chapter, things die. When things start dropping off, the first place I would check is that. Is the presence of God in this place? Number two, there's despair. That's that defeatist attitude. The presence of God will not tabernacle around a bunch of pessimistic, whining kind of people just because it'll revolutionize those people if it comes down (laughs) they'll be on the winning side if the presence of god is in the camp the earth will ring say amen right there there's dispersion after this israel's dispersed they're scattered for a little while you'll find when the presence of god is in a place it doesn't hold together begins to bust up break up then there's darkness but listen here's the message consider with me reasons we lose god's presence number one You study the life of Israel, I'll I'll quickly give them to you. A callousness towards sin. When you give sin a pass, you pamper it, you pet it, you hide it away. Ananias and Sapphira, why do you think God killed them so quick? Because he didn't want to ruin the revival happening in the church. But you mark it down. When a place has a callousness towards sin where we just placate it, pacify, you better believe you'll lose the presence of God. Sin ought to be seen as exceeding sinful Amen. to the people of God. Number two, a coldness toward that which is spiritual. Hoffline and Phineas were staff, whatever, preachers, at the, and they were wrapped up in so much sin. It'd be good for Jerry Springer, whoever that is, never heard of him, but anyway. Wicked stuff going on. Think about it. They were cold toward that which is spiritual, it was just routine to them. They were offering sacrifices in Israel and almost cursing the offerings. It was rituals, dead orthodoxy. Coming in, sit in your assigned seat, sing the hymn, say amen at this part of that same song we sing every time you say amen. Come to the altar. If he mentions that thing, where you always come to the altar. Put my tithing envelope in the plate, call it a day, go to, go, to the, go to the burger place or whatever. And never have God bump into you. That's not church. Amen. That's not church. Number three, a carelessness towards souls, you'll lose the presence of God. Amen. I said it during the announcement. If we ever put anything before soul winning here, Ichabod. Yep. Yep. We're not here. We have social activities, but it's not a social club. It's like the barracks, the barracks for the soldiers. That's what this is. We even have a mess hall. Amen over here. But we gather here to rally for the battle. The, op, the task... The, uh, the, 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 uh, the object in front of us, our operation is to get people who are headed to hell saved so they don't go to hell. Whenever you lose or get a carelessness toward the souls that you shepherd, those aren't just lost souls. Those are people in the church. From the leadership, the pastoral staff, to the deacons, to the Sunday school teachers, when we lose a burden for those that are under our watch care, and we get callous toward their needs and don't make the phone call and don't do the visits and don't send the texts and don't do the follow-ups. Can I say you're playing fast and loose with God's presence. Because if you don't care for people here, God will go someplace where they care for people. Hospitals, not for master, it's not a museum for masterpieces. It's a hospital for sick folk. And you and I aren't doctors. We're nurses. Amen. We're here to clean up messes. The great physician will take care of the rest of it. Callousness toward sin, coldness toward the spiritual, carelessness toward souls. And, th- and lastly, how do you lose presence of God? A casualness toward that which is sacred. You see what they said about the art? Just go fetch it. You know what I tell my dog to do? Fetch. You know if I told that same thing to my wife, what she'd do? Kill me. I can be a little more casual with the dog. And the dog only weighs two pounds. But anyway, so I just say, fetch. And it does it. Hey, you don't fetch the power of God. You don't fetch the presence of God. You don't just walk in here. Hey, listen, me neither. We, we don't just walk in here with our head held high, full of unrepentant sin, hiding in our heart, never read our Bible, haven't prayed all week, have ought in our heart towards somebody, been gossiping on the phone all week long about people, and then show up and then blame the preacher for not hitting out of the park. Because here's what we did when we do that. We fetched Him. What? I showed up. I mean, I even put on a tie for the first time all week. I wore a dress for the first time all Well, there, I'm getting in trouble there. But anyway. I mean, what in the world? I put on my church clothes and everything, and God didn't meet my need. Everybody all right? That's because you tried to fetch Him. You can't be casual with holy things, and I can't be. And so often we are. God doesn't manifest himself everywhere but I sure want him to manifest himself here collectively in our church. The ark of God, there's something empty in our home when everybody's not there. There's something empty in the office when everybody's not there. If pastor's not there, the entire office is empty. That's <laughs> not till like 11 in the morning though. But isn't it true at your home or at Christmas time at holiday when you miss a family and you're like, man, it's just not the same without them. It's just not the same when they're not around. Church is not the same when God's not around. But my goodness, it's good when he's around. Tonight, here's my prayer. We cannot afford to let something steal it away. So we've got to keep ourselves right with him so he'll meet with us.